0: Moshi Moshi. Hello. I'm Zeb Ramsbotham.
1: And I'm Annie Ramsbotham.
0: And we're the Rambling Ramsbothams.
1: Our journey might be rambling, but we hope this podcast isn't.
0: We're starting this podcast because in six weeks we're going to be moving from western North Carolina in the U.S. to Ishikawa Prefecture in Japan.
1: Zeb was hired as an assistant English teacher through Japan's JET program And we thought it might be fun to document some of what it's like, the process of moving to and living in Japan as a couple of foreigners.
0: So today we're going to be talking about some of the background of the JET program, the application and hiring process up to this point, and uh, when and where we'll be moving, and I think a little bit about why. Why? So what is the JET program? So the JET program is the Japan Exchange and Teaching Program, and they have like multiple positions, I guess really just two positions. So you can either be an ALT, which is an assistant language teacher, which is an English teacher. That's what you are. Yeah, so I'm going to be an ALT. Or you can be a CIR, which is a coordinator for international relations, and they kind of focus on translating you can work for, like, a town hall. And they also have sports-related positions, so you can be a CIR for, I don't know, baseball. I think one of the stories I saw was a CIR for something like rugby, and they were from New Zealand.
1: But the CIRs, they're still connected to a kid's school, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're still with a school. I think you can work Some Like, remember the guy? There was a guy in a call that had a different position, with like a town hall, but he was still oh, in yeah. awe. yeah,
1: he probably was like a translator then.
0: Yeah, so the positions have some flexibility, but essentially when you're applying, you apply for one of those two broad categories. The big thing here is that, of course, we're applying, or I was applying for the United States, and there are about 4,000 to 5,000 applicants per year, and roughly 20 to 25% of those get accepted, or around like 1,000 people get accepted.
1: Yeah, so first I want to ask you one of the questions that people keep asking me, which is why Japan.
0: Um it's a good question. I mean, I think what I always tell people is it's a little bit of a childhood dream. So when I was growing up, I was really into Japanese pop culture and kind of Japanese video games. And so I had a very kind of superficial love for Japan and the culture, but The older I got, the more I really liked the country itself. And one of the impactful things for me was this book, um, The Roads to Sada. And it's a guy named Alan Booth in the 60s that walks from the northernmost point of Japan, uh, which I think is Soya, and he walks to Sada, which is the southernmost point of Japan, and just the mainland, like obviously not Okinawa. He didn't walk (laughs) across the And he swam
1: to Okinawa.
0: Yeah, so that kind of... Really helped jumpstart, I guess, a, a more in depth love of the country. And I found that book in a library sale in Davie County. It was kind of a used book sale, and that book was sitting there, and I bought it. And so that kind of really introduced my love for Japan. But then, of course, once I got out of high school, I went to college. Interest shifted a little. And so I still love Japan, but I wasn't really interested in moving there. And then of course you and I got engaged and then we got married and then we went on our honeymoon.
1: Yeah, which was a ton of fun. I actually did not know anything to expect about Japan. I mean I thought it was gonna be really beautiful and interesting and different. But unlike you, I don't have any background in anime or manga or pretty much like video any video games. Yeah, you know, pretty much any of the like Japan pop culture.
0: Didn't play Pokemon growing up.
1: Yeah, I know. Embarrassing. But I I will develop an appreciation for those things, but...
0: (laughs) Well, you don't have to, but...
1: The reason I am excited is about, like, kind of the beauty of the country, and I'm really excited that they have four seasons like we do here in North Carolina, so we aren't aren't losing that. And also, I just think it's so interesting how there's, like, the really... uh, The traditional parts of Japan are really important still, but then they're also, like, married with the, like super huge cities and very modern stuff and you can be in like downtown Tokyo yeah. in like the cutting edge of technology and then well. you can go see.
0: <laughs> and their fax machines. Well sometimes. Yeah. Because then... I guess you didn't mention but if you haven't picked up on it so far we went to Japan for our honeymoon. So we were there for three weeks and that's kind of what Annie's talking about now.
1: Yeah the one time that I got to go see Japan.
0: Well me too I hadn't been before then. So we were there for three weeks and kind of got to go to a lot of really, I guess, most the most touristy spots.
1: Mm-hmm. We did basically the golden route. So we landed in Tokyo. We also got to see Osaka, which is the next biggest city. And then Kyoto and Nara while we were over there, which is kind of like mm-hmm. the traditional parts of Japan that are still preserved. And then we went up to Kanazawa, which is an Ishikawa prefecture. I have some facts about the Ishikawa prefecture, where we're going to be placed. So I think we said this before, but Kanazawa is the capital, and it has a bunch of cool things in there, which some of them we actually got to see when we visited. My favorite was the Kenrokuen Garden, and it's Mm -hmm. called the Perfect Garden. Did you know that?
0: Yeah. It's one of three.
1: Oh, I didn't know. It's one of three gardens.
0: Yeah, they're like three of the most beautiful gardens in Japan, and Kenrokuen is one of them.
1: Well, you know what else is one of three is Hakusan, Mm -hmm. which is Mount Haku, and it, it straddles like two of the other peninsulas surrounding Ishikawa, but it's one of the three prefectures. most Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> but it's one of the most um holy mountains. Um or I guess one of the most sacred mountains in Japan. Yeah. Along with Fuji and what was the like other one?
0: Hakodate or something. I can't remember. I did ask Daiki about this, though, and Daiki didn't know what I was talking about. When I was like, oh, like Hakusan, it's like one of the three... Oh, Oh,
1: it's, it's Mount Tatayama.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Tatayama, hmm. Fuji,
1: and Haku. Ishikawa also literally means Stone River, which is kind of cool. Oh. And Kanazawa, the capital, is known for gold leaf production, and it, it produces, it's the largest producer of gold in Japan. Fun fact for you <laughs>
0: it's fun. I like yeah. gold.
1: And Kanazawa means golden marsh, which is cool because they produce the most gold still. It's fun. Okay, I'm going to read you a section from the history section of this travel book we have. <laughs> and it says that during the 15th century, Kanazawa was under control of an autonomous Buddhist government. And it was ousted in 1583 by Maeda Toshi, which who was the head of the powerful Maeda clan. Ishikawa, when it was ruled by the Maeda clan, it was the richest area in Japan, and so they were able to patronize culture and the art. Because of that, it's still a national cultural hotspot. Yeah,
0: do you remember the video that we watched where they kind of explained that? Yeah. Well, they explained that it was because the government in Tokyo was kind of worried about the wealth that Kanazawa had, and so Kanazawa was pledging their wealth to the culture and like arts so that the government in Tokyo wouldn't feel threatened by their money. So instead of, like, using their wealth to, like, amass power and amass an army, they were using it to support the arts, kind of to say, like, look, we're not a threat. That was according to that uh, tourism, the Ishikawa tourism video we watched.
1: That's a pretty good video.
0: That was a good video.
1: Yeah, so maybe talk more about what the JET application process is like and, like, when you started that and everything.
0: That was September of 2021. That you applied. Yeah, we kind of briefly talked about it, I guess, at some point in 2020, but it was after the application period had closed. So we were kind of like, okay, like, whatever. Like, we missed the application period maybe next year. And then that's kind of when we were a little more serious about it. So in the summer of 2021, I started working on my application And then the application window opened, I think it was September. And I kinda had my application already done. So like the first day it opened, I went online and I filled out all the information. And the biggest thing that we always hear about in the application, you have to write a statement of purpose, which is why why do you want to move to Japan? I had already written that before the application period and Annie had reviewed it. I paid someone online to review it. I sent it to a bunch of former jets to review it. And I had it written. So yeah, kind of like day one, the application period open. I submitted it. Yeah. And then from there, it's a lot of waiting. It's so much waiting. <laughs> yeah. So you we, kind of
1: don't know what the JET people are looking for either. Like they're obviously not looking for just English teachers because Zeb doesn't have any teaching background <laughs> officially. He doesn't have like the TEFL teaching English as a foreign language degree. Like yeah, none of that, But but he got it.
0: I have personal theories about what they're looking for, but they kind of, they want native English speakers, but they also kind of want cultural ambassadors.
1: In January, you found out that you got the, the yeah. interview, which is basically like the next step.
0: Yeah, so you go from, you, you apply, and you go from having your application submitted, and then the application window closed, I think, late November. So from late September to late November, the application window's open. And then, so from late November, you're still waiting, and yeah, I think early January... So we were in Europe, in Munich, and I got an email that I was chosen for an interview. And then thankfully they do give you... (laughs) Thankfully they do give you an interview date, and my interview was February 14th, I think.
1: Yeah, somewhere around then. But then it's kind of painful because then you're just like, okay, great, well... Maybe we'll get excited about that. Now, that was kind of when I kind of gave myself permission to start thinking about it as a possibility. Before then, I was like, well, th- that would be pretty crazy, but I don't want to get my hopes up. But then it's kind of hard because it's, what is that, September to January, you don't know anything. And then there's like a little yeah. sliver of hope. But you have I a think about
0: chance. 50% of people get an interview, I think is kind of what I've read. So anyway, the interview happened, and then you wait again.
1: So let's let's talk about what the interview was like, because it was virtual again, since it's kind of still COVID times.
0: As part of the application process, you pick a consulate in the U.S. to apply through, and they have different departure dates and a few different things going on. But I applied through Nashville in Tennessee and did the interview online. So it was a Zoom call, which I think was fine because I was pretty used to Zoom at that point. But it's, it's fairly short. So you do all this waiting. And then the interview is like 20 or 30 minutes. And they just kind of ask you questions based on your application. They ask you questions based on your state of purpose. And then um, I was doing that. And then there's like an optional Japanese portion, which thankfully, by this point, I had been studying Japanese privately with a tutor for about a year. So I opted to do the optional Japanese portion.
1: Which probably gave you a slight boost. They say that it doesn't matter. But,
0: yeah, they say it doesn't matter.
1: But you were all in your, like, nicest suit, <laughs> which is... Yeah, I did your, actually wear a suit. Your wedding suit. Yeah. <laughs> the only the, one you kind of own.
0: Two suits, but yeah, the wedding True. suit's the nicest one.
1: And then I was kind of worried. You had gotten your hair cut and gotten your beard all trimmed up. Oh, uh, yeah. Cause... I guess
0: on the podcast you can't really see, but yeah, I have a beard. and historically, it's pretty long, and my tutor kept asking me if I was gonna trim it. <laughs> and so i tr- I did trim it and I got my hair cut, so I'd had pretty long hair, um, which so they kind of make fun of it. Uh, so you have to hold up your passport to show who you are when you do the interview. And when they saw my passport photo, the like jet coordinator at the consulate was like, "Wow, like <laughs> you really cleaned up. And I was yeah. like, yep. It was like
1: shoulder length hair and like chest length beard.
0: Yeah, so, so then we did after the, the interview, yeah.
1: it was February and then it was like three pretty long months of like still having no idea.
0: So I got put on the short list. It's I don't know
1: why they don't just say accepted. Yeah.
0: The jet program is kind of funny because they, they try to be very kind of loose. With kind of dates and acceptances, so even the shortlist, they say most people are guaranteed a spot in Japan, <laughs> it and by the short list yeah, but the shortlist is essentially acceptance, and then you can be put on a wait list, which means if people drop off the short list or someone doesn't renew their contract unexpectedly in Japan, you can get upgraded or you can just be rejected and then it was a really long wait from that, I started turning in paperwork. And then just, I guess it's only been like a couple of weeks now, we figured out we were going to Ishikawa, mm-hmm. which was the number one preference. So you're allowed to put three preferences on the application. Ishikawa was our number one because we really liked Kanazawa mm-hmm. and just that. Your three area. preferences
1: are the prefectures. You can't put like, I want to be in Osaka. You have to put, well, it's the Osaka prefecture. Yeah. But for example, you can't just put, I want to be in Kanazawa which is what we wanted, but we put, we want to be in Ishikawa prefecture. So we, yeah. we sort of know where we were placed. Cause it's kind of like in America, it's kind of like knowing the state you'll be in, but that's a pretty big range. Yeah. It's Even like in Kanazawa. A
0: Japanese person was coming to teach Japanese in the U S and they were like, okay, you're going to be in North Carolina. It's kind of like, okay, well, <laughs> you, <laughs> you I could gonna be, be in
1: Raleigh or you could be up here where we live, which yeah. is like 20 minutes. Or you could be
0: in like Wilmington. From anything. So you could be at the beach or you could be in the mountains." or yeah, yeah, the capital. And so I so, guess
1: a little more about Ishikawa prefecture is it's like a really beautiful prefecture where one side has the Sea of Japan and the other side has the Japanese Alps. And it's on the main island of Honshu, and it's pretty centrally located. So you can get to Tokyo in like two and a half hours, I think, on a, on a bullet yeah, train. Yeah, on the
0: bullet train. And it's part of the, like the Chubu region, which is central... Japan. And Osaka is
1: only like three hours away by train too.
0: Yeah, I think Osaka is like two hours 45. Same thing for like Kyoto. Um, Yeah, it's pretty easy to get to a lot of places from Kanazawa. So that's part of the reason I think we picked it.
1: Yeah, and we had visited Kanazawa and really liked it, but then we didn't get to see any of the Noto Peninsula, which is It's a very long prefecture, kind of, like, on the coast. And then Mm -hmm. the coast kind of, like, sticks out into the ocean in this peninsula. So we could be, like, in a really small sea town, like, up there on the tip of the peninsula. We put
0: that we'd like to be placed in an urban. Like, you can put, it's kind of, like, urban, rural, or you can put island. And we put urban (laughs) because we'd like to be in a city. Because, I mean, I feel okay having very, like introductory conversations in Japanese, but we wanted to have a little bit of more English speaking. Yeah, <laughs> I personally region.
1: wanted a little bit more while I'm trying to learn Japanese. Zeb's been taking lessons for like a, a, over a year now.
0: Yeah, it's like a year and a half now, yeah. I think.
1: And I am taking lessons with his same tutor named Daiki, but I still, it's only been a couple months and yeah. I it will be very hard for me to get around or make friends with the level that I have. Well, not necessarily to get around, but it would, be tricky if we were in a super rural area that didn't yeah. have a lot of English on signs and things.
0: Yeah, so that's, but that's the tricky part is that we know we're in Ishikawa and we know we put urban as a preference, but we actually don't really know where in the Ishikawa prefecture uh, will be placed. And some people, when they get their placements, so when you get your placement, you get an email, and some people get told the prefecture and the city, and some people just get told the prefecture. And if you get told just the prefecture, They say that you're probably going to be working for, like, a prefectural board of education, which means you'll most likely be placed in, like, a specialty or high school or special needs school. Um, But, yeah, it could still be anywhere in the prefecture because we didn't get told a city. So now we're kind of in limbo again. Uh, I I did get my flight information, so a lot of people this year got delayed. Like, their departure dates got delayed, and thankfully Nashville (laughs) didn't get delayed. So... This is where it's, like, weird. Like, it feels weird to, like, tell family because, one, you might not get accepted. Two, you could be massively delayed. And so it's just kind of
1: Yeah, but we finally know. We don't necessarily know exactly where, but we do know exactly when. Yeah,
0: I know when I'll be leaving. Which is? Uh, July 30th. Yeah. So I should land in Japan on July 31st, and then you'll come over on? August 4th. Yeah, so a few days after. And so now we're kind of in limbo again, waiting for me to get contacted by my board of education. And so supposedly the next step is the contracting organization in Japan will at some point reach out to me. And it could be like someone had a story that it was the day before. It was literally like the day before they got on the airplane. Uh, So hopefully I would hear a little sooner, but now it's kind of I feel like there's a lot less stress now because we know we're going, we know we have the flight information, we know where we're going.
1: Knowing generally where is much better than not knowing at all. And also knowing exactly when we're leaving is a huge relief.
0: Yeah. I feel like
1: you'll get placed in a high school or multiple high schools because they were saying with your placement with the Board of Education, it usually means a high school. So that Mm -hmm. could be cool.
0: Yeah, I would like high school. That'd be fun
1: because i feel like he could have like better relationships with the students cuz of your level of yeah of english and japanese and they like of was english just and japanese joking
0: with me though. he was like sometimes high schools can be bad because if it's a specialty school like he went to an electricians high school and he was like so we were there to learn about being an electrician and no one wanted to take english oh, so yeah. he was joking about how like usually if you're there for like a specialty purpose you might not be interested in language That's true. So he was saying it, it could be hit or miss, but I like high school because they're a little older and I think my mom was a high school English teacher and she really didn't like it <laughs> by the end. She <laughs> did it for like 38 years or something ridiculous. Tips so. from
1: her on how yeah. to deal with high school kids. I'm also really excited about biking in Japan. We both really like biking.
0: Yeah, that'll be fun.
1: We had five bikes between us, including like mountain and road and gravel bikes, and mm-hmm. we've been slowly kind of... Downsizing but upgrading our bikes. So yeah. I got a really nice new gravel bike. I got a Santa Cruz Stigmata and it has electronic shifting.
0: Yeah, except I had to convince you to get electronic shifting because you know. were always like, oh, I don't need it.
1: Yeah, well, I don't need it, but it is really nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, it is. <laughs> <It's much laughs> so better.
1: now I have to sell my mountain bike, which I'm trying to ride for as long as I can until I'll probably sell it at the end of July, like right before I leave. Mm-hmm. And Zeb got a new gravel bike.
0: Yeah, I got a Cervelo asparo for anyone that's listening and also into (laughs) cycling.
1: (laughs) So we'll sell the other bikes, and um, we exchanged a bunch of U.S. dollars to yen already because the yen's pretty weak right now with the borders having been closed for so long and probably just general COVID stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. The yen's been declining in value, which is which is unfortunate, but it's really fortunate for us. Like transferring dollars to yen is it's yeah. pretty strong against the yen right now. We'll have a little bit of cash like for setup costs. The other interesting thing that is not the same in America is when you get an apartment in Japan, it's usually completely unfurnished. Like, no refrigerator, no appliances. Like in America, when you get an unfurnished apartment, it still comes with like a pretty ready kitchen.
0: Yeah, it will probably have like a stove and a. Yeah. Refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. Japan. None you don't
1: that. get that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll likely start totally from scratch, but that'll yeah, will be but kind that's, of exciting.
0: Yeah. Kind of fun. But that's another thing we don't know about is we're waiting to hear. Cause I also might be replacing someone. So I'll ha- I might have a predecessor and at some point they might out, re- reach out to me and tell me about the apartment that I'd be moving into. And sometimes they can leave behind stuff, uh, like furniture, but often, I've read that a lot of people use that as a way to kind of ditch like crappy old furniture because you have to pay a fee to dispose of it. And so they, yeah, you kind of push it on the person they're replacing so they don't have to pay to get rid of it. But we can talk about that (laughs) maybe once we're there or once we know.
1: Yeah. What other things do we not know yet? We know when, sort of where.
0: We kind of know all the important stuff. Now, like... It really was the worst part about the JET application is just the waiting, like for the most important stuff for figuring out if you got the interview and then waiting to figure out if you got accepted. And those are like the huge hurdles. And that takes, I mean, what, waiting from applying, so late September, and then I figured out I got accepted in May. So... It's eight months. Eight months to figure out even if you're accepted. And that's why sometimes it's rough that... I mean, you read about people that are kind of putting their lives on hold for the jet program, which I understand because it's a great way to get into Japan and it's a really cool opportunity. But then, yeah, that's so long to just kind of dwell on this decision about, is it going to happen? Yeah, it's a little bit out of your
1: hands. There's some really qualified people that didn't get accepted this year. Yeah. So then also, like, once you do get accepted, it's a year-long contract, and yeah. so you sign for a year at a time, which is actually pretty nice because it's up to five years maximum, but every year you get the chance if you like it and they like you to resign for a year. So it's never that huge of a commitment. I mean, you can do anything for a year. <laughs> so yeah, in some ways it's, yeah, it's okay that we don't really know exactly where we'll be living. Cause mm-hmm. even if we don't, if it's not our perfect location, it's only a year and it's a really cool opportunity either way.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of the perspective we have is that we know it's gonna be a year, so pretty much august first, twenty twenty two to August first, twenty twenty three. And if we are miserable it's only a year and hopefully we can enjoy some time in Japan and then it's kinda of fun because if we love it, we can stay longer. So we don't we we don't really have a set end I guess date. end date. We just know the initial contract and then obviously we hope we like it, but I
1: can't wait to bike all around like by the coast and through the Alps and yeah totally new biking locations yeah explore a lot except everything's on the left side of the road like England
0: yeah you'll get used to it pretty fast because even when we were riding in well no
1: I've never ridden we didn't ride in Japan, so I've never ridden yeah. in a country that is, like, on the left side.
0: Yeah, I've ridden in Scotland a little bit, so I had to ride on, but that was so long ago, so.
1: Six weeks from now. So, I guess I've also been studying Japanese, <laughs> so every time we record these, I'm going to tell Zeb about a word that I learned this week. <laughs> this week is moshi moshi, which is what Zeb said at the beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's not really a word, it's a phrase. It's The word is moshi, but you say it twice. And Japanese people say the say this when they answer the phone. They'll answer the phone and be like, moshi moshi? And the other person will say, moshi moshi? But you only do it with friends and family, because uh, it's pretty casual. And it, it literally means, like, I'm about to say, I'm about to say. Because uh, mm-hmm. it comes from the word moshimasu, I think, which is like, oh. to say. But... But yeah, you say it, it doesn't sound as formal as that when you say it and you're answering the phone. It's just kind of like, hey, what's up?
0: Yeah. So and I guess there's like some historical reason, right? they like, you used to answer the phone and you didn't know if the person was there or not. So it was you something would like about, uh, it, that you were, you were there.
1: Like the phone operators would be like plugging the phones in and they yeah. didn't want to be like, hey, you. So they were like, mushy, mushy. <laughs> yeah. So a you little... would let
0: them know that you were connected or about to speak. Yeah,
1: I've also heard like kind of a folktale that people say "moshi moshi" because foxes. It's hard for foxes to say "moshi moshi," and foxes are tricksters. And uh, so then yeah. you know that the person on the other end knows that you're they're not speaking to a fox or a ghost. <laughs> it's <good to> know. <laughs> I don't know how
0: You'll true that one know is, that but one of us is not a fox.
1: What's your word for the week?
0: My word of the week is Natsukashi, which I like it one because. Natsu is kind of, uh, means summertime, but natsukashi is a word in Japanese that they use almost like nostalgia. They say that the translation to nostalgia isn't really appropriate and that it has kind of a deeper meaning, that it's kind of this deeper longing for the way that things were. Talking about why we would like to move to Japan has a lot of built-in, I guess, natsukashi for me because it makes me think about growing up and just kind of why I like Japan. And so kind of the whole idea of completing a quasi-childhood kind of built in with that word. Before we close out the podcast, I'd like to mention that we did create an email address, which is just ramblingramsbothams at gmail.com. And if you're interested in what we're talking about or you have any questions about our process with the JET program, uh, definitely reach out or just kind of any comments or questions or stories about JET in general. We'd be happy to hear them.
1: Yeah, so I think that's enough rambling for today.
0: So we'll catch you later, and thanks for listening.